Welcome, and thanks for listening to this message from City Bridge Community Church. Our heart at City Bridge is to call all people to be fully devoted followers of Christ. To learn more about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. Now, here's the message. There was a book I read in high school called This Book Will Change Your Life. Uh, This book will change your life. And it was actually a kind of a silly book. It was a simple book. It was one of those day-by-day calendar books in which each day it was designed to give you a different prompt uh, of something to do, uh, something to respond to. And so you would read these different prompts like, go and buy all the turtles at a petting zoo and release them into the wild. Um, It would be things like, if you're right-handed, only use your left hand today. Uh, It would be things like, hey, write a letter to a celebrity, and they would give you the address of like a D-list celebrity that I think, I hope, had agreed to be a part of this book. And and so it was just this daily prompt book in which some things were silly, some things were serious, some things were more or less appropriate, Uh, but I would read through it, and my buddy would read through it, and we would talk about it, we would laugh about it, Uh, we would think, oh, that's interesting, oh, maybe we should do this thing or that thing, but the truth was... Uh, I read that book, but I really didn't respond to it. I I didn't do anything that that book actually said to do. And so that book, though it was called This Book Will Change Your Life, that book did not change my life because reading something doesn't change your life. Responding to something is when you begin to see your life radically changed. And so I say that because I think that is how many of us engage with the Bible, that we go to the Bible that could say on the cover, this book will change your life. And yet the Bible itself expects you not just to read it, but to respond to it. Not just to learn what's in it, but to live lives that reflect the things you've learned, that you would learn things with your head, but then it would affect your heart, and then you would live it out with your hands. In fact, James would say in James 1.22, he would say, I don't want you to just be hearers of the word, I want you to be doers of the word. Because if you just hear the word, but don't do something with the word, if you just read God's word and don't respond to it, if you just listen to God's word, but don't live out God's word in your life, he says you are being deceived that you're just becoming this kind of smarter sinner in which you got some head knowledge, but your heart isn't changed and therefore your life isn't transformed. And so I say that because that's exactly where we're at in the book of Ephesians. Uh, That if you've been following with us as we've been studying the book of Ephesians, Ephesians breaks into two parts. Uh, The wealth we have in Christ and then how we should walk with Christ, And so it begins by this immense wealth that we have in Christ that Paul wants us to see Jesus, who he is and what he's done for us. And then he's gonna transition to not just seeing Jesus and the wealth we have in Jesus, but now how we walk with Jesus in our lives. And so if you were to see the entire book of Ephesians in one go, it would look like this. And if you were to go through and highlight every single command in the book of Ephesians, in chapters one, two, and three, you would only get this right here. That we've talked about this already, that this one command in the book of Ephesians is simply to remember, to recall to mind this immense wealth that you have in Christ alone, that you're blessed, you're loved, you're forgiven, you're made holy, 
and you have access to God and you get to see what God's doing both in uniting you back to him but also uniting you back to one another. And so the first and only thing that Paul wants you to do in those first three chapters is simply remember these things. Reflect on them. And yet, if you were to highlight every command in chapters four through six, you would get over 60 commands. Because the expectation is that this belief that you have in Christ should impact and transform your behavior for Christ. That this orthodoxy should impact your orthopraxy. That what you see as the wealth you have in Christ should impact how you walk with Christ. And that's where we're at right now in the book of Ephesians. In fact, at the very beginning of Ephesians 4, Paul's gonna say this. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. That right here is the thesis statement for everything else Paul's gonna say in chapters four, five, and six. That he says, I therefore, based on everything we've talked about, about this immense wealth you have in Christ, he says, I want you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. That you have been called by Christ. If you have trusted in the goodness and grace of Jesus Christ, Jesus has called you into himself to be with him and to be with his family. And he's saying right here, look, you've been called and now I want you to walk in a manner that's consistent with that calling. That Christians, which literally means little Christ, should look like Christ, that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which we have been called. And so this morning, we're gonna be looking at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and we're gonna see right out of the gate what Paul's gonna call us to walk in, and I think it's gonna surprise some of us. Because what he calls us to walk in is not first and foremost a vertical relationship with God. He spent three chapters talking about our vertical relationship with God. And now, right out of the gate, as he has said, you have this immense wealth in Christ. And so I want you to remember it. I want you to think about it. I want it to transform your life. And last week he goes, I want to pray that from the inside out you would be transformed by the goodness and grace and gospel of Jesus Christ so that every aspect of your life would be impacted. The very first thing he says as what should impact your walk with Christ, how you should walk with Christ, is that we need to walk with one another, that we need to love one another, that the very first thing is not a vertical component, but rather a horizontal, that he's going to say that I want you to seek unity. I want you to seek unity, not assume that you just naturally have it. But I want you to seek unity within the body of Christ between fellow brothers and sisters in Christ as you serve others in and through the body of Christ because we are the body of Christ. We are the church. You don't come to church, you are the church. And God wants you to use your gifts to serve and to bless others. And so that's what we're gonna look at in our time together, the first reaction, the first response to reading this deep truths of God is that God wants us to seek unity and serve others. And so first up, let's look at God's desire for us as brothers and sisters in Christ to seek unity with one another. It says right here in verse one, it says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called with all humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And so did you notice it? 
But like right out of the gate, what does it look like to walk out the calling in which you have been called? The first thing that Paul is gonna say is I want you to seek unity amongst one another. That there's actually these five different characteristics of those that are marked by a deep relationship with God as we desire to have a deep relationship with one another. There's these five different characteristics. In Bible Study 101, when you see a list, pause, reflect on those words, look them up. Paul's gonna keep throwing lists at you and it's easy to kind of gloss over them, but let's pause and let's look at what Paul is asking us to do. And so the first thing he asks us to do is to walk with all humility with all humility. And humility is not thinking less of yourself, like, oh, look at me, how bad I am, but it's thinking of yourself less so that you can think of other people more. It's what John the Baptist like, was, was modeled by that he said in John 3.30, he said, he said I, may, may Christ increase that I might decrease. There's a humility about those that look like Christ, but not just humility, it says a gentleness. That word gentle is also the word meek, which means strength that's restrained. That I don't use my strength to make much of me, but I use my strength to serve and bless others. And as I do that, I walk with all patience. That as God has been patient to me, like we just shared and just talked about and just raised our hand for, that God's been patient with me. And so I'm gonna be patient with one another. That word in the Greek literally means long suffering. And this is in the context of us walking as a family of God. And so Paul assumes that there's gonna be certain people in your life that you're gonna need some patience with. That you're gonna have to suffer long alongside of because they don't think like you, they don't act like you, they rub you the wrong way, and those might be personality differences or, or just differences in general, but, but Paul is telling us, hey, we need to look like our maker because he was patient with us, and now we need to be patient, suffer long alongside other people. And then he says from there, put up with one another. Bear with one another in love that I'm committed to you in Christ because I'm not just somebody that happens to go to the same church with you. I am a brother. I'm a, I am a brother to you. And if you're, you're a brother to me or you're a sister to me, that all of us, if you've been adopted into the family of God, you have God as your father, but you have other brothers and sisters in Christ. And you get to make the, uh, you get to, um, uh, you don't get to decide whether or not you're gonna have brothers and sisters in Christ. You're gonna just have to decide whether or not you're gonna be a good brother or sister. That we bear with one another and the way we do this is we don't remain passive or neutral or move away, but rather we're eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That means we spare no effort. We don't wait. We eagerly seek after those to make sure that we are walking in a unity of the Spirit of God so that we can walk in a bond of peace the way it should be. That God is creating an us in the way that humans should interact with one another as the Spirit of God moves in us and through us to bond us together in peace and in unity. And the world needs to see that. The world needs to see Jesus' church running in peace with one another, and when they see that, they'll see Jesus as the prince of peace. 
That's what Jesus prays in John 13, that the world will know that, that you're my disciples by the way you love one another and move towards one another and encourage one another. And so all of these things, these five different things of humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace, all I just did was describe Jesus. Like, that's, all, that's all I just did, that, that Jesus is the one that we look at, and when we look at him, according to 2 Corinthians 3, we are transformed by him to look like him. And so Christian, look like Jesus. That the way you live your life worthy of Jesus and the calling in which you've been called by Jesus is to grow day by day in looking more and more like the God who saved you. Like I love what this commentator said. He says, God wants to reproduce in his followers the characteristics of his son. His love, his kindness, his compassion, his holiness, his humility, his unselfishness, his servant attitude, his willingness to suffer wrongly, his ability to forgive, and so much more that characterize his life on earth. That God wants you to look more and more like Jesus. Not that he would love you more, but that you would live a life worthy of the calling which you've been called and live life to the fullness that Jesus promised for us. How are we doing with this? He says, I want you to do this with all humility. And so we all have room to grow here. And so we don't just read this. We let this read us as a mirror and as we engage the word of God, we let it engage our hearts that it would transform us from the inside out that we could live a life worthy in which we've been called. Because when we seek this unity through humility, we're actually just acting the way that God intended his people to act. Because we're already one together. The passage says that there's one body there's one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call and one Lord and one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. And so what Paul is doing right here is he's saying seven different times, which is the number of completion to the Hebrew mindset. Seven was the number of completion, of wholeness, of fullness. And seven different times he says the word one, unity within the body. We have one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all and through all. And this right here is the heart of God for you. That we would be a group of people that act as one. And this is the heart of the triune God. Did you see it? It's one spirit, one Lord, one Father, that the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, desires of us to be one together because in Christ, we are one together. And so the night before Jesus was betrayed, he went out and he prayed for us this exact prayer. He said in John 17 that they may all be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, that the world might believe that you have sent me. That that is Jesus' prayer for us. And we live in a postmodern, in many ways growing and growing post-Christian world 
and an individualistic mindset in the last couple hundred years that we just always think, and we have to keep reminding ourselves that that Christianity is not solely about me. That Christianity is a very personal thing in my life, but it's never private. It's public and it's collective that we run with God together, which is why we are City Bridge Community Church with unity, with oneness. That as we grow in Christ likeness, we should grow in our Christ likeness of being one together. And the truth is, we have so much areas to grow here. Like it happens time and time and time again. We meet up with community groups that are just like, I've had it. Like I'm done with this group. And we begin to lean in, we begin to ask questions. Hey, hey, where did, where did you start feeling this way? Where, have you all had these conversations? They go, well, you know what? Months ago, they said something and I've just been kind of holding it in. And we're like, months? Friends, that is not eagerness. That's immaturity. That we are to be quick and eager and earnest to move towards one another in love in the same way that God has moved towards us in love. We move towards one another in love and we keep those short accounts. And so if you think right now in your community, you're doing Jesus a favor by stuffing your frustrations that keep coming up over and over, you are dishonoring Christ by not doing one of the primary things he has called us to do as a body of Christ. And I see churches time and time again dissolve, not because of external threats that we're so concerned with and occupy our minds so often, but because of internal threats of the body of Christ just ripping each other apart and then leaving for who knows what excuse. And then they go to another church and they do the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And after months and years, that individual is so isolated and they give up on church and they give up on God. City Bridge, it can't be that way with us. We leave our gifts at the altar and we go to our brothers and sisters in Christ if they've wronged us or we've wronged them and we seek unity in the spirit because we have a bond of peace that's in Christ alone. So if you're struggling with this, it's why we have community leaders, it's why we have community shepherds, raise your hand and say, hey, I need help here. We're gonna send out this week in the bridge, our weekly email, just, a, just our, our conflict field guide, just helpful tools about how do I take the, the log out of my own eye, which is typically pride, and walk towards humility and help my brother, help my sister take the speck out of their eye so that we can walk in unity and love, because when you do that, what you're telling that person is yes, there's conflict. Yes, there's an issue between us, but the bond that we have in Christ is so much stronger, and I love you enough to move into the hard situation, and faithful are the wounds of a friend. So look at that conflict field guide. Raise your hand. This summer, we're gonna do a three or four part series about conflict resolution, because that is how important it is. It was the first thing out of the gate in Ephesians 4 of how to live out 
the calling in which you have been called. We seek unity. This is not a distinctive of City Bridge. It is a directive of Jesus. Seek unity. And the best way to seek unity is to serve one another. Because when we serve one another, what we're telling that person is that my time, my talents, my treasures aren't about me, but I'm gonna pour them out to you because I love you, because I love you. And so we seek unity, but we serve others. And that's what Paul says next. He says in verse seven, he says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he, he led hosts of captives and, and he gave gifts to men and, and saying he ascended, what does it also mean? That he also descended to the lower regions, the earth. He who descended to is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And so if you studied this week, this passage, like I hope we all are doing collectively as a body, you might have gotten to this part and go, okay, Paul, you're kind of taking a tangent. And the truth is what Paul is doing is I just got to meditate upon it this week is he's sharing, hey, the way we serve one another and the reason we serve one another is because Jesus on the cross and the resurrection purchased this for you that the cross and resurrection was, yes, God giving us the gift of salvation, but also the gift of service. Do you notice four times it says that this is a gift or something that was given, that God has purchased this beautiful gift to you and for you, and he's giving it out freely to all those that would call upon his name. And he quotes here, Psalm 86, he says, look, that's why it says when, when he ascended on high, he led hosts of captives in it, and then he gave gifts to men. And then he kind of explains why he's quoting that verse. And he says, look, there's a guy, Jesus, he, he, he descended to earth. He lived the life that we could not die, the death that we deserved, was buried and for three days was dead, but then rose to life. And when he rose to life, he gave the gift of salvation, yes, but he gave the gift of serving one another. Like this right here, the, the, the scene that keeps popping to my mind is that scene in Aladdin when Prince Ali, fabulous is he, Ali Ababwa, is coming in and he's on that giant elephant, which is really a monkey, but he's giving out this gold and he just has this immense wealth and he's just sharing it with everyone around him. And Jesus, as the conquering king, ascending to heaven is literally dispersing all of these gifts to us. And it's not gifts of gold, it's gifts of spiritual service. Like let that sink in that Jesus died and rose from the grave so that he could give you a gift that you could use it and steward it to bless others. And if he did that, we can't ignore it. He's purchased for us this gift because he has a purpose in us using these gifts. And that's where the passage goes next. It says in verse 11, he gave, there's that word again, the apostles and the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, all these different people that have a unique wiring and gifting to be able to articulate and lead people in the gospel. But he says that he gave them not for them to do the work of the ministry, 
but he gave these gifts to people to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That we don't do ministry to people, we do ministry through people. That this right here is the verse of our equipping ministry, our men's and women equipping ministry, that their heart and their goal is to help our body discover, develop, and deploy their giftings. Why? Because when we all do this, we begin to fulfill the purpose of Christ. Look at these things. It says that we would be built up, that we would attain the unity of faith, that we would be one with one another, we would have the knowledge of the Son of God, we would reach mature manhood or personhood, and we would walk in the fullness of Christ. Like we are here for one another. And when we see that these gifts have been purchased by Jesus, it has a purpose that we would reach our full maturity in Jesus, we begin to see that as I use my gifts and you use your gifts, that we can reach our full potential in Christ. Individually, yes, but also collectively. And that's why he says, so that we won't be these children tossed to and fro by waves and carried out by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Oh, I, how I wish I could imagine a world in which Christians are pulled away by every wave and carried along by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes and by news reports and celebrities and tweets that we are so much more quick to respond to what we read online than to respond to the words of God. And we're not acting childlike in coming to Jesus, we're acting childish. And he says when we walk in a, this purpose of God and using our gifts to build one another, which is what Jesus purchased for us, we can reach a full potential. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body being joined and held together by every joint with which is it equipped, there's that word again, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Sadie Bridge, we can't be children. We need to be childlike, but not childish. That we come before God and we are growing more and more day by day as I use my gifts, as you use your gifts, and we build up one another. And the only way you can reach your potential in Christ is when we all see Jesus purchased for us, not just our gift of salvation, but our gift of serving, and then we fill out that purpose of using our gifts for the benefit of the body. This is a very big deal. And so the question we gotta ask ourselves is then how do we discover our gifts? If Jesus is freely bestowing these different gifts to different peoples, how do we how do we discover these gifts? And the truth is, uh, in the last couple of decades, there's been a greater and greater movement to go. The way you do that is you take an assessment, right? And those aren't wrong. I've taken like a gajillion of them. 
I know my Enneagram and my Myers-Briggs and my Strength Finders and my Shape. I know all those things and those are good and helpful, but the biblical model of how you discover your gifts is you serve and you see what God does. And so the very first thing I did here at CityBridge, very first thing I did in ministry years ago was I cut ribbon for a girls' event. Very first thing I did here uh, was to play in a play uh, with our kids' ministry as an overzealous track coach, all right? I came here on a Sunday morning, I was interning at the time, and, and uh, they had a need for somebody to step in and, and to serve in their skit ministry, and uh, not exactly my A gift, but they asked me to do it, and so I remember my first Sunday here calling my wife and saying, hey, um, don't ask any questions, but if you could bring to me uh, my letter jacket, my high school wrestling singlet, and some basketball shorts, um, I need those this morning. And those were easy to find because they're all in a glass case over our fireplace. <laughs> and um, it's good days. And, uh, and so she brought them up here. And I remember in that bathroom changing so that I could be and embody that track coach. And the truth is, cutting ribbon and playing in a skit aren't exactly like my A gifts. None of those came up in my strength finders. But saying yes to those began to open up doors in which God showed me areas I was gifted in and areas I wasn't. And I began to have fun using the gifts that God's given me to serve and bless those around me. And so you serve and you see what God does and you see what God does first in you, what he does in you. Does he fill you with a passion and a joy and, and just you love doing these things. It doesn't feel like serving. Uh, there was a, a woman that a few weeks ago just heard our call for, for, our, for serving in our kids' ministry, one of our biggest needs and one of our biggest opportunities here. And so she heard the call and goes, hey, I don't, feel specifically called to kids ministry, but I, but I know there's a need here, and so I'm gonna go and help, and I'm gonna go and serve, and I tell you right now, she began to serve, and she began to be filled with joy and love for these kids that we could not pay her to leave her ministry. And she had no idea what God would do in her when she, she simply served and saw what God did. So you serve and you see what God does in you, but then you serve and you see what God does through you, what he does through you. Like when David and the band lead us on Sunday morning, we just have to admit there's something that happens, that God has uniquely wired him and that team to serve the body in the way and not make much of them, but to make much of God as they sing to an audience of one and we collectively feel the energy and therefore get engaged to sing and to celebrate the God who is. If you were here on Easter and you saw Rachel do her spoken word, you know that she is using that gift to glorify God and it's a beautiful and wonderful thing. I got here early this morning and I saw this 
beehive of people, whether it was our host team led by Eddie or our tech arts team or or a variety of people that were coming together to serve, to use their gifts for the benefit of others and the glory of God, that if you're watching online right now, you need to know that a year ago today, we were not able to do this. Like we didn't have the capability to live stream and when that happened, this little thing called a pandemic, our teams got to work so they could serve and bless our body so that we could collectively hear from the words of God and so many that are still watching in online could be blessed by our team that is using their gifts and seeing what God does in them and seeing what God does through them. But then finally, you see what the church affirms about you what the church and church leadership affirms about you. How do I know that I'm a gifted teacher? I'm not in the audience. I don't know. But the reason I do know is because the church has told me. How do I know I'm not a gifted worship leader? It's because the church has told me. (laughs) Back in college, One of the worship leaders didn't show up to this kid's event and they knew that I play guitar and I could strum a G, C, and D and so I could play most of Chris Tomlin's songs. And they were like, could you get up on stage? And I was like, sure, I don't know if I'm good at it. Well, I proved that reality pretty quick. I started singing and no joke, by the time the second song rolled around, the girl next to me unplugged her mic because she saw a sinking ship and she was like, I'm out. And yet that summer I was asked to teach and I loved it. And so that church goes, hey, we'll give you a mic to unpack the words of God, but they literally say, please never sing in public again. We love our people too much to let you sing. And now's my chance, all right? No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that to you. Jesus has purchased these gifts for you. He's purchased these gifts for you. And he's given you your gift for a purpose, that we all would reach our full potential in Christ. So City Bridge, serve and see what God does. See what he does in you, through you, and what the church begins to affirm about you. And if you're looking for a place One of the greatest needs here, the greatest need here, is also one of the greatest opportunities. It's our kids' ministry. You wanna grow in your gifts? You go and invest in the next generation of Christ followers. Because every single gift you have, whether it's leadership or teaching or evangelists or hospitality, all of those can be used and exercised with our kids. You wanna be a disciple and make disciple? We're not looking for pulses just to go into the room. We are looking for people that we can say what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11:1, 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so if you wanna be a disciple, making disciples, as you're being disciple to look more and more like Jesus, go and invest in the next generation. If you wanna bless our church body here, because each and every week when kids are turned away, Parents become jungle gyms as kids crawl all over them. But when we're able to accept 
more and more kids, that frees up our body to come and to sit with their spouse, with the rest of their family, with their community groups, to listen so that they can live out what God is calling them to do. But we're not just taking kids so that adults can go to church. You wanna change the world. Invest in the next generation of Christ followers because we're not just taking kids so that you can come to church. We are investing in kids because they are and will be the future of this church. And that's what the world needs. And so every day at 937, our kids team prays Matthew 9:37, God, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Would you raise up workers for this great harvest? City Bridge, you have a lot of kids. <laughs> and God bless you for it. But we need people. And God desires to use you. The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And the way God's gonna answer that prayer is when our body raises their hand and says, I'll go serve. I'll go love. I'll go be a disciple and make disciples of the next generation. This past week, I love this story, this past week, this past Sunday, seven days ago today, a woman came with her kids and she was rejected. Uh, she didn't have enough, there wasn't enough leaders and so instead of grumbling and complaining, she just said, how can I serve? She filled out her application on Monday, was interviewed on Tuesday, we don't just throw anyone back there, was accepted on Wednesday and today she is serving at the other side of our building, making room for 15 more kids to hear the best news that they will ever hear in their life, that Jesus loves them and cares about them. And there's a place here at the church for them. And they're freeing up space for many of you right now to sit here, to listen, that you might go live your life of worship. And so whether it's kids or students or equipping or recovery or marriage or external focus or community or at your homes, serve one another. Serve one another. Because when you do, you will begin to realize that the person that's really being served is you. It's you. A little while back, we got a letter from someone who had jumped in here and and I just wanna read this to you because they began to see the joy of serving. They said this. It says, let me read to you, um, let me share with you the following. It's been in my heart lately and I just wanted to communicate this to you. Serving is not a chore. It's something to celebrate. We have this upside down, but Jesus said to be the greatest is to serve because that is where Jesus is. I trusted Christ at 27, and over the last 44 years, I've had some great experiences. I've shared my testimony at large events. I've rubbed shoulders with some nationally known Bible teachers. I've even been an elder at another church, but the last 11 months since I've been involved here have been some of the most exhilarating, stimulating, challenging, motivating, encouraging time in my Christian walk. 
I have constantly been challenged to study, to learn, to grow, to evangelize, to walk authentically with brothers and sisters. I've never experienced this type of community before, and I've never served in a local church before. But now I've had multiple areas in which I serve, and I have been for the first time experienced the true and genuine joy that comes from denying yourself and serving others. And I am thrilled that I am getting the opportunity to be a part of this place. I look forward to the hard work that it'll take to get this campus up and going. This is the biblical way, and this is why lives are being changed. City Bridge Community Church, this book will change your life. But it's not when we just read it. It's when we respond to it. And Jesus has given us the gift of serving. He's purchased it for us that we might reach our full potential in Christ. And that is his purpose for you and for us. And so we seek unity by looking like Jesus in all his humility and gentleness and patience. But then we serve one another by looking to Jesus. Because even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That is our King. Let's be his church. Thanks for listening. We pray this message encourages you on your journey with Jesus. If you found this message helpful, feel free to share it with others and leave us a review. To learn about City Bridge and how you can take your next faithful step with Jesus, check us out online at citybridgechurch.org. You can also follow us on social at citybridgecc. See you next time.